G'day, welcome back. Darren Mitchell here, and you're about to listen to another brand new episode of the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. So great to have you jumping on board. Now, back in January, end of January, in fact, I had the privilege of speaking with Lariel Lipkins, who is the CEO and founder of the Lipkins Consulting Group based in Houston, Texas. And we talked all things sales, sales leadership, sales training. And uh, Lariel has recently released a brand new book called What Top Performing Salespeople Do Different, which talks about the 10 things that top performing salespeople do, which is based on Lariel's work over the last 13 years and a lot of research as well, working with sales teams and organizations across uh, the world, but specifically in North America. So in today's episode, fantastic conversation. We don't talk about all 10 because it'd be fantastic if you can get yourself a copy of the book, which is available not only on Lariel's website, but also at all reputable online book depositories such as Amazon. Uh, what we do though is we do cover off her three favorite elements or three favorite things of those 10. Uh, and so we do have a pretty deep dive conversation on each of those. And uh, if you're a sales leader, an aspiring sales leader, or just a sales person looking to extract even more potential out of yourself to drive those exceptional results, then it is well worth the listen. So buckle up. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. And uh, without further ado, let is, let's get straight to the episode. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. This is Darren Mitchell and another very special welcome back to Lariel Lipkins all the way from Houston, Texas. How are you, Lariel? Good to be here, Darren. It's been a long time. We were just talking about that. We were, and I was going back in the um in the notes, and it was it was 31st of January this year. And we were just saying before we press record how much uh, things change and how through a period yeah. of, of of time so much can happen because um, mm-hmm. we thought it, it wasn't that long ago. It just it felt to me actually it felt like it was only a a short while ago, but it was uh, yeah. eight or nine months ago. <laughs> yes, time time flies. It does. It does. So for the listeners who perhaps haven't caught up uh, with this particular episode when we recorded it back in uh, back in February. January. I'm sure that um, many people would have heard it, but for those that are listening in brand new, uh, love to know a little bit about uh, about Lara Lipkins because you are the founder and CEO of the Lipkins Consulting Group. I know yeah. you do a lot of sales and sales leadership training, which is uh, we are like kindred spirits from the other kindred side of the world. Spirit. And, you, and <laughs> you, you stole the line right out of my mouth. That was what I was going to say next is kindred spirit. So absolutely. Yeah, I am the founder and consulting uh, for 13 years. Um, and so I tend to uh, work with organizations, B2B organizations um, in the areas of sales leadership, sales process, um, and sales training. So um, all of the, those are kind of like my three buckets that I like to, to focus on. You know, sales process is a really big one for me because I think that's the foundation to building a uh, successful sales organization. And it's amazing how many organizations, certainly what my experience in Australia, 
um, how some organizations, and I know it's really, really important, and I fully concur with what you said, but how many sales organizations almost change their sales process as often as they um, change other things? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> and and they think it's the it's the be all and end all. Now I know it's really, really important, but there are mm-hmm. some other things that we need to put in place on top of that sales process as well. But what's your experience with uh, with working in the yeah. states in terms of you know that? Well, well interestingly enough, I find. There's, depending on the size of the organization, um, most people, most organizations don't have a sales process, right? And when you think about every other function in a business, when you think about operations and manufacturing and HR and account, there's processes, there's systems, there's policies and procedures. And then when you look at the sales team, oftentimes it's go sell something, right? And then, then they wonder why, one, it's, they're not meeting their numbers or they're not meeting their numbers consistently. Or it's really, it becomes very difficult to manage a team of 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 people when they all have individual processes. So I find there's one group of companies that have no self-process. And then I think the second one, to your point, they think about self-process and self-methodology is kind of like the flavor of the month, right? So they're like, oh, we're doing this methodology. And then next year, we're doing this methodology. And by the third year none of the salespeople are going to buy in because every single year it's going to change. So they're like, I'm secretly going to do my own thing. <laughs> right. Um, and so there's that bucket. And then I think on the other side, on the third side, I can find organizations that are very rigid with their process. And uh, I don't think that that's good. You know, you don't want to be on that side of the pendulum either because you have to be flexible. So like when I think about sales process, my belief is when you have a really good sales process, it actually gives you more flexibility. Yes. And um, because I can recognize where I'm at, why I'm at where I'm at, and then how to make adjustments in real time. So I find, you know, they usually fall into those kind of three buckets. It's interesting you say that because there are a lot of sales leaders who are very regimented in their process. And they say the process is the process and you must not deviate from that process. And yeah. I was actually having a conversation yesterday with somebody and we we're talking about the, the importance of sales leaders creating an environment where you can empower your sales teams to be more proactive, mm-hmm. which means you give them boundaries and you give them frameworks, but you allow them to be a little bit more flexible within those frameworks. Yeah. Um, obviously pull them back into line if they sort of go outside that. But I think there are a lot of sales teams out there that unfortunately they're almost looking over their shoulder or walking around on eggshells thinking, well, like, can I do this or should I do this for fear of, well, my sales manager is going to hit me over the head with a with a with whatever <laughs> for, for going against the process. So the, yeah. the message I get from that is the sales process or a methodology is is important, but probably what's more important is the salesperson being able to empower themselves to make the right yeah. decisions within that process. Exactly, right? And I think we often teach people, I had an organization, they had almost 200 salespeople and I was working with their sales leadership team and uh, with their sales managers. And what I often found is the sales managers were frustrated because they were having to repeat themselves over and over and over again with their reps and they kept blaming their reps. But when I listened to how they coached, when I listened to how they managed, how they debriefed, right? You're already laughing because you know where I'm headed with this. They were clearly the problem. Yes. Right? Because they were focused on the what 
what you were saying and how you were saying it, but they weren't actually teaching them why the process was the way that it was. Yeah. And so what happens is that now I'm in a situation that looks a little bit different than what we role played in the, in the huddle. And because I don't understand why I'm supposed to do a certain tactic, I screw it up or yes. I stick to the process, not realizing I actually need to round it off a little bit in order for it to be effective to that situation. And so yeah. I think you're absolutely right. We can't be rigid. And you use the term I love, which is framework. Right? Give people frameworks. Teach them why we're doing what we're doing so that when they're in a situation in real time, they can say, this doesn't actually fit the context of the situation. Here's the adjustments that I need to make. Yeah. And I find a lot of sales managers and sales leaders don't teach the why. They're so focused on the what, what to say and how to say it, <laughs> but not why. And you wonder why that is the case and why. And the first thing that comes to mind is it's almost like the blind leading the blind because they've been probably brought up in an environment where they've been told, this is what you do, this is what you say, and this is how you do it. So you'll practice technique, but I yeah. won't give you any context as to why we're doing it this way. Exactly. And I think in 2023... It's like you were in my meeting, Darren. <laughs> That's exactly what they said. Is when we grew up in the organization, we were taught to do it, we didn't act why, we just did it. Yeah. But now we have a different generation of people yes. who want to understand the why. Yes. And if we say, don't worry about that, just learn it, there's going to be a disconnect, right? Which is what happened. I feel like you were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the thing, because we've got salespeople now across the full gamut of um, age, right? Yeah. And as sales leaders, we have to be adjustable and flexible and know that different age and different backgrounds, different perspectives, different experiences are going to probably need to be led differently. And if we can't as sales leaders, first of all, understand why we're doing what we're doing and why we're doing things in a certain way, it makes it really difficult, if not impossible, to explain to somebody who is very curious, who wants to know why we're doing this, right? And they're yeah. not doing it to say, why are we doing it like a five-year-old child will ask? Yeah. They're just saying it's, hey, hey, help me understand this because if I understand why we're doing it, it might be that I can actually have more intentional focus on what it is that I'm doing and therefore the how I'm doing it has more meaning and maybe yep. I can have a bigger impact. It sounds yeah, like absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? And one of the things I find really interesting, um, and I don't know how it is in, in, in Australia, but still here, there's a ton of organizations that still require a college degree, right? Yep. And while I think it's beneficial and it shows work ethic and completion and all of that, um, one of the things I find really interesting is I'll work with organizations that focus um, on hiring people straight out of college, but they don't think about the fact that in college there is a curriculum. Yes. And the curriculum says, hey, Darren, in this particular class, to get an A, you do X, Y, Z. To get a B, you do X, Y, Z. Right. And then they hire those people who have spent four years being instructed and everything being laid out and having a blueprint. And they say, go sell. Yeah. And I think it does is a huge disadvantage, especially for younger salespeople when organizations take that approach. It's like we really need to have a sales playbook, not just for younger generations, I think across the board, um, but for those organizations that hire straight out of college and it's like they were successful because success was clearly defined. And now you hire them <laughs> and you haven't clearly defined what success looks like. You haven't provided a blueprint. 
a roadmap, an onboarding plan, and now you're wondering why they're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a self, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Absolutely. And I actually work with this organization who will remain nameless, Um, (laughs) but huge organization, Fortune 500 company. And they had, I was a trainer for them um, for about three years for their college program. And they hired kids from the top school. And in 90 days, those kids failed. Wow. And they didn't fail because they didn't have the training. It wasn't me, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) It wasn't that. Your training was phenomenal. Yes, it wasn't the training, right? It it was a couple of things is they didn't prepare them for the mindset. Like these kids were using used to being at the top of their class and top performers. And now I'm dealing with rejection and resistance and getting pushback. They weren't mentally prepared for that. But then two, because they didn't have that blueprint of how do I actually be successful? Yeah. And so I think organizations across the board, whether you hire straight out of college or you hire even established people, tenured people, having that playbook and having that process mapped out allows people to ramp up faster, allows makes it easier to manage them, to coach them, to develop them, um, and then to ultimately scale the sales team. Absolutely. And as you're talking there, I'm thinking um, universities and to some, to some degree also high school and, and primary school is uh, they teach the kids how to, um, like what to think not necessarily how to think or not necessarily to question why we're doing this in a certain way. Yep. So I, I sometimes wonder whether the the creativity of people is somewhat stifled because we've got this massive factory that will just spit yep. out doctors, lawyers, accountants, whatever the case might be. Very good techni- technicians are what they do because they can follow a recipe, but they don't necessarily have any creativity to know. I can't go outside the boundaries and why am I doing this? I'm not quite sure. Well, I'm doing this because my family did this. My dad does this. My mother does this, right? And so when they get into an environment where there is no uh, definitive blueprint, um, there is uncertainty, there is volatility. And you look at the the world now, it's full of volatility, uncertainty. So Mm -hmm. we know we we talk a lot about the VUCA environment. Um, A lot of people flounder. And so yeah. we need to we need to prepare them, which is good for us because it means that um, for most for most of us we're going to have still things to do and people to teach and sales teams yeah. to educate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, to your point, it's always changing, right? So even the skills, and you probably saw this, um, the skills that were required, let's say pre-pandemic. Um, are very different. Some of them are still the same, but how they're executed now are very different. Yeah. Um, and I saw organizations where they were all outside salespeople knocking on doors or sitting across from a prospect, and now they're having to sell Zoom or sell on Zoom or sell virtually or sell on the phone, and they're like, whoa. Mm. <laughs> I'm used to talking about the swordfish on their, their office. Their office, how do I do that? How do I build rapport now over the phone? Right? And even now, I guess you could say post-pandemic or three years later, it's still an evolution of what skills do you need to have to be successful in today's environment and moving forward. And so with that, um, because I agree with you that the way that I guess most, a lot of businesses have started to now operate post-pandemic and there's a lot more flexibility in a lot of organizations' cases and people are doing a bit more hybrid or some are working fully from home. Yeah. Yeah. how do you think the role then of the sales leader has had to change and evolve? Because 
traditionally the sales team would be in the office and they go out and do their calls and they come back and they'll have the huddles and so forth. What are you seeing in your markets around the role of the sales leader and and how that perhaps has changed and what sort of challenges are being presented as a sales leader, particularly in a hybrid sort of environment? I think a couple of things that I'm uh, noticing is that you have to get more clear in your expectations. Right, so it's one thing when I can look over your shoulder and micromanage you every day. It's very different when I have to trust that you're going to do the behaviors and do what you're going to be doing from the comfort of your own home. Yeah. Right, and so I think with that flexibility, it requires a certain, a higher level of um, clarity on expectations. And I think that I've also seen a big shift in just moving from just training people and managing people to actually doing more self-coaching. Mm. and more development, right? And so for me, those are very different. When I think about training, it's more skill-based. And obviously it was, you know, uh, rejigging and and, and elevating people's skills is important. But when we're talking about coaching, it's all of the mindset stuff, right? And so, you know, when you're in the boiler room or you're, you're in the bullpen, you've got the energy from, you know, people around you. But when you're working from home, it's very different. Yeah. And so you have to be more intentional as a sales leader and tapping into what motivates your people. You have to be more intentional as a sales leader as to what are the gaps that are occurring. I see the results, but what's the behavior that's driving the results? Mm. And what's the belief and mindsets that are driving the behavior that's driving the results? Right. And so that's where we get more into the sales coaching because we've seen we would love to separate business and personal. But that's just not the reality, especially right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And so really being able to help people navigate those emotions, those mindsets, those roadblocks. I think I've seen a, a huge shift in sales leaders understanding isn't just like what numbers are you putting up on the board? Yeah. But what are the blind spots that I need to help you be able to feel? Yeah. And I think then from that point of view, and particularly in a hybrid environment, sales leaders have to be a lot more intentional and a lot yeah. more present because I've seen a lot of sales leaders who lead by absence. They'll sit at their desk in their office. They'll 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 analyze to the to the nth of inch of their life their their sales forecasts and pipelines, and they'll manage upwards, but they don't spend enough time with their team. It's it's so important that the greatest gift that you give anybody is the gift of your attention to your team members. So, yeah. in those sort of environments, you've got to be really intentional. So. If you've got somebody who is not in that bullpen, who has to almost manufacture that energy, you've got yeah. to be closer to them because if you let them um, let them go, so to speak, and there's no yeah. contact, what's happening to that person's psychology? Maybe yeah. they're not engaged. And that has a flow-on effect, as you talked about, to behavior and ultimately results. Yeah. And when you think about the type of people, most people will hire for sales. Yeah. You know, extroverted, our love community, love people, and now I'm feeling disconnected. Yeah. Um, there was, I know, um, when the pandemic was at its height, I mean, I've never talked about depression and working with the sales team, right? Mm. But those conversations are all, all of a sudden coming up because now people are disconnected. Yes. Right? And so really tapping in um, into what are those goals? What are those motivations? How do we still create this community um, atmosphere and culture even yep. if we're in, in, a, in a hybrid environment. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, which leads us to the purpose of today. You've released yeah. the book. It is finally I released. I have. 
I have. It is finally here. <laughs> there it is. I feel like this has been, I was going to say, I feel like it's been months in the making. It has. <laughs> it's actually been 13 years um, in the making because it really is taking my 13 years of experience and training and coaching and working with self-people and self-teams and really distilling it down to say, what are the top 10 things that I've noticed from top performing self-people, regardless of industry? regardless of experience, regardless of economy, that has separated them from average salespeople. Yeah. And so that's really what the book captures. Love it. I love the title. And it, it just it's a beautiful color. And is is the is it is it green or is it teal? What's the description of the yes, it's teal. It's teal. I like it. Teal. And your new website looks pretty cool as well. It's got a lot of teal Thank across you. it as well, which is uh, which does. is lovely. So what top top performing salespeople do different? Mm-hmm. Love it. The 10 things top performing salespeople do. Now, um, we're going to encourage people to obviously get a copy of that book. So we're not going to go yeah. through every one of those 10. But yeah. um, you mentioned that it was 13 years in the making and things that you observed as to what separates the great salespeople from the the average or the not so great salespeople. Love to delve in. Is there, do you have a uh, it's, it's almost like asking, do you have a favorite child? <laughs> <laughs> I already know where you're headed with this. <laughs> is there a is there a uh, a favorite? Uh, there is the people. There is. There's probably there's three favorite things. <laughs> three favorite things. <laughs> I sound like a politician, don't I? <laughs> oh. um, one of one of the the first chapter in the book. Um, and it's the first chapter for a reason is about mastering mindset. Um, and I'll be honest, Darren, when I started hearing about mindset and learning about mindset, I thought it was like foo-foo. Right? I'm like, no, you just grind it out. Like, you know, we don't need to do rainbow, rainbows and unicorns and dancing through a field of flowers. We're talking about mindset. Don't they but, exist? What did you say? Don't unicorns exist? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Don't unicorns exist? I thought they existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do when you find a good self person. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. My apologies. No, that's okay. That's okay. For a second, I thought I froze. Um, but one of the things that I started paying attention to was probably my third or fourth year um, training sales team is it became very obvious to separate those people who walked in every week and did training and executed. Yeah. And those people who are going to walk in and just go through the motions and those people who are 90 days from being out the door. Yes. And one of the things that started kind of, I started thinking about and became really obsessed with a little bit is kind of trying to figure out what was the difference between those two or those three groups. And it wasn't skill. It wasn't talent. It was mindset. And so when, as I did more coaching and more training, I would find there's some people you're training and coaching over the same thing over and over and over and over. And then you finally hit this point where it's like, what's, what's going on? Yeah. And it was always a story from their childhood. Yeah. Like this replaying, this reoccurring tape that was preventing them now as adults from executing in their role as a salesperson. And, and so it was getting them past those mental hurdles. So I would say 
my 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 baby, so to speak, is really mastering your mindset because I don't think if you don't have the right mindset, it doesn't matter how many how much skill I give you. It doesn't matter how much coaching we do. It doesn't matter how tra- how much training we do. It doesn't matter how big the fists are. You're not gonna do it yeah. because in the moment that you have to execute that fear, that belief is gonna pop back up. Yeah. So I would say that is the the foundation, and I even talked about that. I said, yes, your mindset is more important than skill set, and that's coming from a sales trainer. <laughs> well, and it's and my my personal view is I I completely agree. Because my own experience as a salesperson, and certainly when I made uh, the transition to a sales leader, a lot of the training was geared around technique, skill set. Going back to what we talked before in terms of this is what you need to say, this is the process you need to follow, and this is how this works. Mm -hmm. Nothing was really spoken about in terms of what's happening in the six inches between your ears. Yeah. How do you turn up to work every single day? You might have just had an argument with your partner and you've got a very important pitch to do to a piece for to win a piece of business that might be worth a couple of million dollars. How you bring yourself into that situation will have a, a yeah. positive or not so positive effect on what the outcome is. And mm-hmm. so be really clear on that. Um, but it's staggering how many salespeople, even today, when I w- mention the word, hey, let's talk about your mindset, they're going, what? Yeah. I thought we were talking about we were going to talk about skill set. Are you going to give me a technique? I thought you were going to give me the words to say. Yeah. Give me a move. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so when you when you see that, and, and obviously this is based on a lot of your experience as well. And um yeah. I get that. When you when you have salespeople who are so fixated on the technique, the skill set, and in from a coaching perspective, um, and it might I might already I might already know the answer to this, but yeah. What do you notice when you mention mindset and they actually get this realization? It's almost like a aha moment. What do you notice is the difference between um, leading up to that point and post that point when salespeople in particular understand that it is this? Well, I think the big thing is awareness, right? I think, and it becomes where they can see how it's kind of the ripple effect. So one of the things that I do to help them identify what those roadblocks are is I work backwards, right? So I'll say, okay, where is there a gap in the results that you want to get? And so then they can tell me that. Well, I'm not hitting my numbers. I'm not getting enough referrals. I'm not getting enough appointments. Okay, great. What are the behaviors that are you think are driving this? Well, I'm not picking up the phone. I'm not, right? And they list that. And then I go, okay, so why do you think you're not picking up the phone? Yeah. Right. And now we're in beliefs all of a sudden. They're like, oh, crap, she got me. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens the moment that you know you're supposed to ask Darren for a referral and you don't? Yeah. What happens when the what's the feeling that you feel when? Right. And then all of a sudden, I think it's they become a lot more aware Um, of what those beliefs are and what's happening. And I think another reason that people don't um, recognize their beliefs is one, it's not a conversation we typically talk about in sales. Yeah. Right? Because again, because we're focused on um, technique. Yeah. But the other thing is I don't think enough salespeople actually debrief their call. And when when you're just going from call to call to call, there's a tendency to start blaming the organization for yourselves, pricing for yourselves, economy. You already know, right? The competition, the prospect, and it's everybody else's fault. 
But when you actually take time to debrief and debrief the right way, then you start to realize, oh, it is me. <laughs> the problem. Or it's me that has the opportunity to make some improvement to change the outcomes that I'm getting. Yeah. Right? And then again, you then back that into what are the beliefs that are actually driving the behavior. And what do you say to people, because I've had this a lot, what do you say to people that says, you know what, I don't have control over my mindset because it's the environment that I'm in. It's my manager that won't do this. It's my partner that won't believe in me. It's my prospects or my customer that won't do the things I want them to do. Just look at my environment. Is it any wonder that I'm thinking like this, right? Because I almost get sometimes people say, well, I don't, I don't have direct control over what's going on up here. What do you say to them? Because I know the answer to that. Yeah, BS. No. <laughs> well, that, well, sometimes you can't say that directly. but yeah. you... <laughs> you can't. Um, no, but here's the deal is I think that would only be true with everybody in an organization was failing. Right? Yeah. So I had this happen with um, an organization, again, working with the sales leadership team, and we did a mindset session, and it was geared towards their rep, the rep. So they loved it, the first half, right? They loved it. And then they came back from, from lunch, and I was like, so now we're going to talk about mindset for sales leaders. And they're like, what? <laughs> You're already bought into it, right? It's like, no, just like they have mindset gaps as a rep. There's mindset gaps that you have as leaders, right? And so I think sometimes it is just having those tough conversations. The other thing, though, Darren, I think is we all know or we've trained, we've coached, we work with, we've tried to lead and develop what I call an, an Eeyore, right, mm -hmm. from Winnie the Pooh, where it is always someone else's fault. It's always the economy. And... I think as a sales leader, at some point, you have to decide how, how is it worth the investment? Yeah. Can we get it? Can we turn that around? Um, or can we not? Yeah. And sometimes we just cannot. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for us to also be able to recognize that and free people to go do something else hmm. that better aligns with their personality, their skill set, and their passion. Yeah, absolutely. And that's okay. Like if you, if you end up... Okay. This is why the question of why you're doing what you're doing is such an important thing. So mm -hmm. sales leaders need to understand that first and foremost, why they're a sales leader, because sometimes they're thrust into the role because they've been a great yeah. individual salesperson and they don't have that blueprint. But also asking the team, like, why do you, why are you a salesperson? Why did you choose this role? And why did you choose this company? And what keeps you coming back every single day? Yeah. And getting people to start thinking about that, my experience is just naturally the more we start to have those sort of conversations, the more the person starts to have a little bit more control over their thinking patterns and therefore their mindset. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit less of, oh, that's that's your fault or that's this person's fault or that's the company's fault. And then they're taking a bit more responsibility for everything that they find themselves in. Yeah. So from a from a, um, a mastering mindset point of view, you know the obvious question that's coming, don't you? I'm ready for it. Okay. So... For somebody listening right now, whether that be a sales leader or a salesperson listening and thinking, you know what, I I have been having some challenges with my thinking. I thought it was my behavior. I might have been focused on the doing of the do um, and the how. Um, how do I, how do I, what are some tips I can have to help master my mindset? Is there anything that I can do, any disciplines that I can develop to help master mindset? Yes, and then the book. I'm just kidding. 
I do actually have a piece on there about mindset building, but I'll give you a couple. Um, so one of the things, I think the first piece, and this sounds like a, uh, an intervention, but <laughs> is awareness, <laughs> right? Like we have to become aware of what those beliefs are and being honest with ourselves. And I'll tell you, Darren, I think this is the hardest piece for people, especially salespeople who might have big egos um, and being honest to say, I really feel this way. This is a thought that's really going through my mind. Yeah. The second thing um, that people can do is journal. Yeah. Right. So being able to identify where did that belief come from? Right. And there was a study that was done that said most of the beliefs that we have as adults were, were, were driven by experiences that we had before the age of seven. Yeah. And so if we don't become conscious about how those beliefs are showing up today, then we are subconsciously stuck at a six-year-old level, right? And so journaling that and saying, where did that thought come from? Where did I actually experience that? Um, does that belief actually serve me now? And I know that sounds like woo-woo, but these are things that I even do for myself today because mm. I'll get to a certain level and then all of a sudden a belief will pop up. I'm like, where did that come from? Right? And so being able to work on that. I think the other thing is creating more supportive beliefs. Yeah. Now, where I think people make the mistake of, and then you've heard about affirmations, is they, they try to turn it into like a positive and they're telling themselves something they don't believe. Like, I love prospecting. That's not going to work. <laughs> right? Your brain is going to say, you and I both know we're lying. Right? But if I say prospecting is planting seeds. Right. And I say something that's actually rooted in truth. It's much yeah. easier for me to start to believe that. And the next step is then I have to act in accordance with. Yes. Right? So if I believe that prospecting is just planting seeds and I can say, well, how can I remove the pressure that I feel to get a yes? Yes. Right. Well, this is how I could do that. Maybe I need to start off my calls a little bit different. But then it becomes a behavioral change that you can make one small behavioral change. We're not going to make 10 at one time. Yeah. Right? So when I'm working with organizations, particularly on mindset, I tell the salespeople, find one belief that you want to focus on for the next 30 days. You have a lifetime to fix all the other stuff that's going on. <laughs> right? Find one belief that you really want to hone in. Let's identify the belief. Where did it come from? How can we reframe it? And then what would be a different behavior that would be in alignment with the new beliefs you want to have? Brilliant. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking we we spoke earlier about kindred spirits from the other side of the yeah. world. As you're saying that, I'm thinking you're going to say 30 days, aren't you? And you're there it was 30 days, because that's exactly what yeah. I said. With and certainly with adults, sometimes that's the people can feel as if they're drinking out of a fire hose because there's so much mm -hmm. information getting thrown at them, and the expectations on top of that is you need to take all of this and almost be an instant overnight expert in everything yeah. we're doing. But to break it right down and say, just focus on one thing and just do one that day. because you build a conscious competence habit around it and eventually it will embed. So you do that mm -hmm. layer upon layer upon layer that you make transformation. And that's why it's not it's not rocket science, but it does take time and it does take patience. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah love absolutely. It. Love it. Love it. So that's Mastery Mindset. Um, what's your second favorite? My second favorite would, would probably be process. Okay. Um. And it's funny because even when I had the, um, there's a story behind the cover of the book, but I hired a book designer and I just said, hey, here's the title of the book. And she gave me 
some sketches and one of them had a flashlight. And it was so interesting because that's like the, that's what kind of prompted the book itself. So I'll give you a quick story. Um, about two years ago, I was working with a client, self-person was struggling. Um, and he had been there about 18 months. And they were a startup. He had been very successful as a salesperson previously, but now he's having to build processes and systems and structure that he never had to build before. Yep. So the CEO reached out to me and said, hey, I think my guy needs training. But as I was talking to the CEO, I was like, I don't think training is the problem. I think it's process. And so fast forward, I'm working with the, the, the salesperson and we, we built out a new process. I trained him on the process. Now we're in a coaching session. And I said, what was, I asked him, what was your biggest takeaway from today? And he just said, everything. And I could tell though, that he meant it. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, is there anything specific? And he said, yeah. no, he's like literally everything. everything. And he said, for the last 18 months, I felt like I've been in a dark room with my hands tied behind my back, trying to feel my way around. Yeah. And he said, and having worked with you over the last few weeks, you came in with a flashlight. And now I can see exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm like, whoa, right? I was literally speechless and you can tell, <laughs> I never have a problem with <laughs> right? I don't have that problem. But it was one of those moments, Darren, where I said, he's not the only salesperson who feels that way. Yeah. Who feels like they're jumping through hoops, they're trying to unlock riddles, and like, like an escape room, yeah. trying to figure out how to navigate sales. Yeah. And we were able to take them from his first sale that he had closed was their sales cycle was like 71 days, 81 days. The next deal that they closed after we put in the process, 17 days. Nice. Next deal, he closed 14 days, right? And what we primarily focused on was self-process. Yeah. And so that would be my my second deal. My second child would be self-process. Um, I think it is fundamental to building and scaling a sales organization. And it doesn't have to be complicated because there are no. some sales processes out there that it's almost like you need one of those A0 sheets of paper <laughs> and they've got all these different permutations, combinations, if no statements uh -huh. and stuff like that. Keep it simple. So simple, Simpler is better. Yeah. Because a lot of times, and you probably see this in working with organizations, like you build a process and like, yeah, but what if this happens? How often does that happen? Every now and then, okay, we're not accounting for that, right? We'll deal with that when it happens. And so it's what is likely to happen in like 90% of your deals or more. That's yeah. really what we want to document. And if your salespeople can't walk me through the process without looking at their CRM or without looking at this flow chart, it's probably too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is not to say that salespeople are dumb, inverted commas, but you want to bring it down to a lowest common denominator. So it removes any ambiguity and it yeah. makes it quite easy for people to follow irrespective of their experience level, their experience of ir irrespective of their knowledge level as well. Correct. And it can't be that hard, right? So step one is who's your customer, right? Step mm -hmm. two, is there a, is there a budget or is there a need? Is there a compelling need? So 
Well, I mean, a lot of people talk about spin and Miller-Hyman and things like that. It can be really, really simple. Yeah. Does the customer have a problem that needs to be solved? Mm-hmm. If, if the answer is yes, then we'll go to the next stage. <laughs> is there yeah. a and stage if it's not. Then move yeah. on and it's okay. Yep. Nice. Is there any is there any key key things to be thinking about from a sales process? I know sales process is quite a generic term. Yeah. But from your experience, is there a specific element of a sales process, uh, whether it be for a salesperson or a sales leader, to really dial in on to say, well, if we don't if we don't get really good at this element of a sales process, mm-hmm. then we're actually doing ourselves and potentially our customers a disservice. So, is, is there a gap? Yeah that you see happen a lot? Yeah, the qualification stage. Yeah. That was easy, right? Like I tell people all the time, salespeople spend a lot of time and energy trying to close the deal on the back end because they didn't spend the time and energy on the front end, right? And so I said, I want you to shift your energy from trying to get it over the finish line to actually doing a proper setup and do a proper qualification because if we do that, then it becomes easy to know what you're going to present and yeah. it becomes a no-brainer for them to say, yes, this makes sense for the next step. So yeah. it would definitely be the qualification um, component. And that would probably lead me to like my third piece. My third child is um, in the book. I talk about this concept of uncovering the whole pie. And so um, for years, um, my background is in teaching pain points and the pain funnel. And I would have people who would go, I asked all the questions in the pain funnel and like I still couldn't get to it. And so um, I created this framework called the pie. And so the pie is we need to identify what is the problem. Yeah. And so that's the superficial stuff that people are okay telling you. Right. We can't hire enough people. Okay. But we don't want to sell at that level. Yes. Because if we sell at the problem level, we become a commodity. Yeah. Right. So the second level is then what is the impact of that to the business? Right. So in the book, I talk about six different kind of impact areas that are going to be most common. Yeah. And then the third level, which is where we actually create urgency. So second level impact, we start creating value. But third level is where we create urgency, and the E stands for emotion. Yeah. So emotion is how is it impacting the person you're sitting across from? What's the personal impact to them? And I'm like, if you start asking better questions and getting deeper and uncovering the whole pie, you're going to be much further ahead than your competition who's selling at the problem level. And they're also selling at the product level. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so at that point, it's just it's a a rush to the bottom. How much does it cost? That's it. But when you build rapport to be able to get to how is it impacting that person? personally, that's a totally different level of rapport. It's like the whole ripple effect. Yeah. Now we're not talking about this. We're talking about this. Yeah. And we know that people predominantly buy on emotion, even though they'll tell you they buy on logic. Exactly. And if we can really ramp up the impact, and this is a part of, well, how big is the problem, but how big is the impact of the problem? So what are the consequences if you do not solve this problem? Exactly. And what's the emotion that's attached to that? They will almost unconsciously give you the attribute of having a solution to that. At that Correct. point, as a salesperson, we have a choice, therefore, as to whether we provide them with a solution or whether mm-hmm. not. So it almost becomes them leaning forward to want to buy what we have to offer 
versus what a lot of us will do is we'll actually f- try to force our product and our service and try to retrofit to what we think is a problem. It often is just a surface level problem. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So it is, it's, it's, it's asking better questions. It's asking, <clears throat> excuse me, deeper questions. It separates you from the competition. You get a lot more information. So yeah. now when we're putting together our proposal or making our recommendations, I have a lot more data than the person next to me. <laughs> yes. Right. And so it gives you the upper, the upper hand. It gives you yeah. an advantage. But not only that, it also gives the, the prospect the opportunity to clarify for themselves. Is this big enough for us to fix? Yeah. And so I love when I'm on a sales call or when my client's on a sales call and the prospect says, I never thought about it that way. Hmm. I don't know the answer to that. Because that's what they're saying is, Darren, you're asking me a question that no one else has been able to ask. That's it. And you're making me think about my business, my issue, my challenge, my goal differently than everybody else has gotten me to. Right, which now I don't have to tell you I'm different, right? You experience that I'm different. Yeah. And that that in the customs mind or the prospect's mind becomes an insight because you've now created an insight that they've never thought about. But because you've asked that question, it's actually forced them to now to to look at it, which means yep. you've actually shined the torch in an area that's been black or dark up until that point. Yep. <laughs> I actually was talking to a, a client. He became a client. He was a prospect in the, in, at the time in the pharmaceutical industry. And um, I asked him a question. And he literally put down his pen and he said, what did you just ask me? <laughs> <"Uh-oh."> <laughs> I now feel pain points, right? He's like, what did you just ask me? And then I asked him the question again. He's like, I don't know the answer to that, but I should. Mm. And he said, what you just did to me, yeah. I need myself to be able to do when they're having conversations with our prospects. Nice. And he became a client. We worked together 18 months. But it, that one question changed the dynamic of the conversation. Yeah. And so being able to ask really good questions, whether that's the pie framework or any other framework, um, I would say would be be my number three. Love it. Love it. So there's three. And guess what? There's another seven. Yeah. We're just scratching the surface. Just scratching the surface. And the good thing about that is, and I love I love the pie because it's an acronym for, um, and it's easy to remember, mm-hmm. problem, impact, emotion. So if, is, yep. if a salesperson can combine that with mindset, know where they're at in the sales process, but also ask better questions to articulate what the problem is. And, and here's, here's a question. Um, I love your thoughts on this. I often say to sales teams, and as sales leaders, are you able to have a sales call or go through a week of sales calls without actually talking about your product? Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think, well, my thoughts would be most organizations would, would, would be enough, right? <laughs> because, because you know why? They spend all this time, money, and energy on product training. But I always tell people, if you are talking and telling, you're not selling. Selling is really asking questions. Yeah. And so I remember it makes me think of this deal a few years ago. Um, I was doing a boot camp and this organization, they sold a product. And I'll be honest, Darren, I don't, it was like machinery. Okay. Right? And so one of the reps, he stood up and he said, so you, since you're so good, why don't you sell 
me this machine that they have not been able to sell for a year. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and because I knew nothing about it, right? And I yep. put my credibility on the line in front of 30 salespeople. It forced me to only ask questions yeah. because I didn't know anything about the piece of machinery that we were talking about. He gave me like a 60 second overview. And what was interesting because we did kind of like a dueling role play is yeah. I got much further in the process and a lot more information, having no idea what I was actually selling because it forced me to ask questions. Whereas he had years of training, hadn't been able to sell it. And was going on the features and benefits and you know technical specifications of the product, um, and he couldn't get far. Right, so I think that I don't think he's the exception. I think he's unfortunately the rule. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm that's music to my ears because I keep I keep saying this to teams all the time with the greatest amount of respect. You've got to believe in your product. You've got to believe in your service, but your customer is not. They don't want that product. They're not into. They're not no. knocking on your door to say, "Hey, can I buy your machinery?" Yeah, because if they were, <laughs> you probably wouldn't need salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's the other thing, right? I had a client. They do solution selling, but I yeah. listened to their call, and I said, "All I want you all." And this was working with the sales leaders. I said, "The only question I want you to ask when you debrief your salespeople is what was the problem you're solving." Yeah, that's it. Scrap all the other questions. And because they had great pitches, they were pitching and there was no gap. And so I said, people aren't, if, if, if there is no problem, the price will always be too high. That's it. That's it. So I said, let's forget the product. Let's forget the offer. Let's forget trying to get to your pitch. What's the problem that you're solving? And if you don't have a problem that you're solving, I don't want to hear your pitch. No. And we should get better at protecting our product and our service from customers seeing it until they qualify to see it because they've articulated A, a problem, and B, that they have an appetite to want to solve the problem. Only then yeah. will they qualify, qualify to see what I have to offer. Uh-huh. And, it's and, a, it's a, and closing the loop on that, Darren, it's a mindset shift. Absolutely. Right? Is that my belief, just like yours, that you have to earn the right to see this. Yeah. Versus I think most of people was like, can I please get in and show you what I've got? <laughs> <laughs> oh, by, by the way, what's your name and what's your business, right? Uh <laughs> oh, and you know what? People do it today. Like, I don't know how, what, about you, but I get lots of LinkedIn uh, invitations. And yeah. part of the invitation is, hey, I'm a website developer and it's all about them, right? Who cares? Yeah. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> man yeah. wow all right so um so as we wrap up love to know where where can people get a hold of this fabulous book and is it at uh, all reputable book retailers is it online it is. is it your website how do we get hold of it it's d all the above right so you can grab it on amazon you can grab it on barnesandnoble.com uh, and you can also grab it on my website lariellipkins.com Nice, nice. And same place if people want to connect with you and uh, learn a little bit more about what you do. Same yep. place. If you want to connect, yep, go to lariellifkins.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Love it. Hey, um, this has been, as we said before we press record, it feels like it was only a couple of weeks ago, but it's been nine months. But yeah. it's almost like we've been talking yesterday. So um <laughs> 
absolutely greatly appreciate you coming on. Congratulations on the book. Um, I'm actually going to get a copy myself. And uh, I think as you've what you've shared today, if uh, if the information and the context you've shared today is any indication of what's to come in the, in the next seven, it's uh, well worth getting your hands on it, particularly if you're a salesperson looking at differentiating yourself. But I would also go yeah. so far as to say, hey, sales leaders out there, do your teams a favor and get a hold of this book because there's an absolute gold in there. And um, Larry Lipkins, greatly appreciate you jumping on. I know it's uh, evening in Houston, Texas, so <laughs> uh, I can tell you it is Friday here, so the sun will come up. Okay. <laughs> you give me something to look forward to. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, any last passing words of wisdom to uh, to sales people or particularly sales leaders before we close off? Um, great question. Um, I would say it's, it's the fundamentals, right? Is that sometimes we get so nitty gritty and all the techniques and the tactics that we forget it's the basics, right? It's, it's the fundamental things. It's the human to human connection. It's asking the right questions. Then we're focused on the payoff for them versus the payoff for ourselves. And when we master that either as an individual rep, or as a sales leader managing rep, then it makes all of the difference. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I love that. Um, do the basics, do simple better, and don't overcomplicate it. And that's not to bring it down to the lowest common denominator, because if you do things simple, it actually is easy to replicate. Yep. Love I it. love that. Do simple better. I'm going to steal that, Darren. You can. I'll give you credit the first two times, and then it's me. <laughs> That's okay because I've I've actually made that mine because I heard it from somebody else as well. Somebody so, else. <laughs> we just paid it forward. <laughs> hey Larry, it's been an absolute pleasure again. Um, love speaking with you, and we're going to have to do this again. So um, enjoy the rest of your Thursday. All right, have a good one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.